everybody. So I'm off on maternity leave and we're mixing it up on Coach's Corner. And what you're about to hear is an interview that I did a while ago, a year or two ago, that was just really popular and you may have missed or you may want to hear it again. So we are re-airing it. So enjoy this interview. Hope you learned some awesome things. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I am so excited to share this episode with you. I have Dr. Judith Orloff with me today. I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a second, but why I wanted to bring her on the show is because she is an expert on empaths, on being an empath and a highly sensitive person. She is an empath herself, and she's also a psychiatrist. And I know a lot of you out there identify as being an empath or being a highly sensitive person and it can be confusing and lonely and even scary sometimes. And I love how Dr. Orloff really explains it in a way that makes it first understandable and two, for anyone that identifies as an empath, I think you'll feel a lot less alone and understand even more about yourself after listening to this interview. Dr. Judith Orloff is a New York Times bestselling author, psychiatrist, and is also on the UCLA Psychiatric Clinical Faculty. Dr. Orloff specializes in treating empaths and sensitive people in her LA-based practice. She asserts that we are keepers of an innate intuitive intelligence so perceptive that it can teach us how to heal and prevent illness. Yet intuition and spirituality are the very aspects of our wisdom usually disenfranchised from traditional healthcare. Can you see why I love this woman? <laughs> She's speaking my language. Dr. Orloff's latest book, The Empath Survival Guide, which I highly recommend, is an invaluable resource to help sensitive people of all kinds develop healthy coping mechanisms in our high stimulus world without experiencing compassion fatigue or burnout. Empaths can then fully embody their gifts of intuition, creativity, and compassion. Dr. Orloff's work has been featured all over the world in so many media and TV outlets. You can learn more about her at drjudithorloff.com. That link is in the show notes. She also talks in about an event that she's holding in April and March, and you can just go to her website and click on the events tab and learn about that there. All right, let's dive into my talk with Dr. Judith Orloff. Dr. Orloff, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to have you here. You're very welcome. We are going to talk about empaths, and I thought a good place to start would be to have you define what an empath is. Well, I'm a psychiatrist in Los Angeles. I'm also an empath, so I combine my traditional psychiatric skills from my training with being an empath. And an empath is somebody who is open, intuitive, and can sense energy, and oftentimes can sense it so much that they absorb the stress of the world into their own bodies. Mm -hmm. But it gives you the ability to intuitively tune into other people, which, you know, of course, is enormously helpful in, in my practice, as I'm sure it is in yours. And also to have deep, connected relationships with people. But often empaths get misdiagnosed because the traditional medical system doesn't know how really to deal with them. And so they're diagnosed with major anxiety disorder, depression, um, chronic adrenal fatigue, you know, and there's so many autoimmune diseases that are affected by being an empath because empaths tend to go on sensory overload a lot. And when you're on sensory overload and your stress hormones are soaring through your body, that's going to cause adrenal fatigue, anxiety, depression, and all kinds of other things. So 
Empaths need to learn self-care techniques, which I talk about in Thriving as an Empath, in order not to go on sensory overload so they can enjoy their gifts. Oh, so much to comment on there. So just a, a little bit about why this resonates with me so much is at age 11, I was put on antidepressants. And I don't think I was depressed. I think my my parents and the psychiatrist I was seeing were doing the best they could. Maybe I, I was a little depressed, but I think the issue was I was a such a sensitive child. Yeah. Could feel could be at a restaurant and feel, you know, the old man a couple of tables away, feel his sadness. Right. And, you know, I could feel all my mom's emotions, all my dad's emotions, everybody's emotions. Right. And I don't think that you know, your book wasn't around at the time. The conversations about being empaths and highly sensitive people weren't around at the time. But I actually think that's what was happening. I don't know that depression and antidepressants were really the best thing for me. They they helped because they turned off my sensory system enough so that I think I could function. But I'm just curious, is that something that you see a lot with highly sensitive empath people? They And, and you just mentioned it, they get put on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications when they really just don't need it. They actually need tools. Yeah, absolutely. There's a 20-question self-assessment test in the beginning of the Empath Survival Guide to ascertain if you are an empath or not and how much of an empath you are. And if you are an empath, you need to be treated differently in the healthcare system because traditional psychiatry doesn't typically know how to deal with empaths, so they medicate. And as you said, it does decrease your sensory stimulation you know, oftentimes being on an antidepressant, but that's not the first line of defense with, um, that's not the way to treat empaths. You have to diagnose if you're at first. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm against antidepressants down the line for certain people, but I am saying in the beginning, you have to learn as an empath how to decrease your sensory overload and center yourself and set boundaries so that your stress hormones can go down and you could feel more calm and centered. Yeah, so you can learn to do that off most of the time without medication. Let's let's can we dig into that a little bit? Can we talk about what a treatment plan for an empath looks like? Uh, well, it depends on the empath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's an individual, but if people come to me and they say, you know, am I an empath? I'll have them take the twenty question self assessment test in the front of the empath survival guide. Find out, and the questions include: Have I been labeled as quote overly sensitive all my life? Do I absorb the emotions or even physical symptoms from other people? Am I overwhelmed by noise, smells, or excessive talking? You know, do I require a lot of alone time? Do I replenish myself in nature? Do I prefer one-to-one contacts rather than large groups of people? So there's some general qualities that many empaths share. And so you need to diagnose yourself properly. If you're not an empath, that's one thing. And it's not better or worse. It's just being an empath is a particular kind of person that you need to deal with you know, things in a specific way. But if you are an empath, then okay, yay, you you discovered what you are. And that can Mm -hmm. be really liberating, you know, to know that you're an empath and and what to do about it. And so, you know, the next thing is you establish a diagnosis for your treatment plan, then you want to come upon a plan of treatment and action. And so, you know, I do inventories with people about where does their energy go? Where does their stimulation come from? How can you bring it down? And a plan, you know, where do you need to set boundaries more? You know, where do you need to breathe and center yourself? 
who are the people who get your emotional triggers going so that you can you know learn to, to deal with each one specifically and how can I develop a, a meditation practice it's meditation as an empath is one of my you know most treasured practices learning to breathe to center yourself to bring yourself down to learn how to learn how to deal with discomfort and live with discomfort if there's no solution readily, learning how to get yourself out in nature. All these techniques are in thriving as an empath. And, you know, today's entry in thriving as an empath is uh, feeling things intensely because empaths are often told they're, quote, overly sensitive Mm -hmm. or they feel things too intensely. Or I always thought I'm too much, you know, for to be in a relationship. I'm just too much to deal with. And, you know, none of that is true. You know, you you just have to come into your own creative impulses, which I think are empathic impulses in your own way and whoever you are. But you need to ground yourself, too. And so that's part of the treatment plan for any empath is how can I ground myself in a variety of situations? And how can I open myself up to, you know, the energy of the universe, whatever you want to call it, you know, spirit, higher power, nature, intelligence, whatever you want to call it, and realize that your body is a vessel for this kind of spiritual, subtle energy. And so you want to be of this world, but you also want to be aware of other um, influences that are around that are you might want to call more spiritual or transcendental or go further than the mind. You don't want to just be in your mind. You want to feel through your heart. The heart is the empath's strongest gift. And so you want to feel through your heart what's possible in the multi-dimensions of the universe. So, you know, if you're if you're an empath, you can travel to some far out places, you know, in your mind <laughs> and in your being. And it's not woo-woo, it's real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so key is learning how to tap into that energy. And I'll just I'll just speak personally because I know a lot of people can relate to what I'm about to say. So since I've been off antidepressants for over a decade, but then was really involved in building my career and just being out there in the world. And I did not protect my empath while I was doing all of that to the degree that I really needed to. And so now I'm dealing with thyroid issues massive adrenal fatigue and being overly stimulated. Like I have to, when my husband and I watch a movie, I have to ask, is it nervous system friendly? <laughs> you know, can yeah, I, that's a great term. I, I, I have to ask that. And even when I'm out, you know, I, I've been speaking professionally since 2006, but now before I get on stage, I feel like I'm going to pass out because I have so much energy right. coming at me that I'm working to manage or I'll be coaching in front of a group and start feeling everybody's stuff and feel sick in the moment a lot of the time. And this all has just been happening in the last several years. And I thought, whoa, geez, what is wrong with me? But then when I found your work and started to really go more into my spiritual practice, I was like, I don't know if anything's really wrong. It's just, I'm just thinking I'm overstimulated. And I love my gifts. I love my intuition. I love my compassion. I love being able to feel what other people are feeling, either emotionally or physically but it's learning how to balance that out with boundaries and protection and a lot of the practices you're talking about. And they have to be non-negotiable for empaths. We need 
a little more self-care than perhaps non-empaths would. And so I'm just, I'd love to ask you, because I know for a lot of empaths, sometimes it's difficult because we feel too delicate or we feel too needy or we feel too fragile when we ask for something. So how can we really empower ourselves to set boundaries with both our loved ones and just in the world in general? Well, you have to realize that setting boundaries is part of the empath toolkit. And you have to do it. (laughs) You can't get away with not doing it. It's just part of how you practice self-care. But how you set boundaries is very important. Sometimes people don't set boundaries because they're afraid they're going to be rejected. They're afraid they're going to lose a friend. They're afraid of the kind of anger reactions from people. So they have a lot of resistance to setting boundaries, but you have to realize that no is a complete sentence and that the key to setting boundaries, and I go into this a lot in Thriving as an Empath, is to be short and sweet. You don't get into a big discussion with somebody about it. You don't get into a confrontation. You use the fewest words possible and the nicest tone possible, and you're in and out of the situation. You know, for instance, you know, if I'm around somebody who is a yeller, you know, because I don't like yelling, it feels very toxic to my system. So, you know, I just say, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry, I can't be around you, you know, until you can get more calm. That's it. And I'm smiling and I'm not angry. I'm not snitty. I'm not frightened. I'm just, no, mm-hmm. you know, just no. And people can either accept that or not, but it's how you, how you say things, No, another thing I don't usually do is shake hands with people because I don't want the energy transferred between me and most people. Depends who it is, of course, but, you know, with a lot of strangers, if I meet them. And so I just, you know, I say to them, you know, I'm sorry, I don't shake hands. And I say it nice, but it's short, sweet, and, you know, seemingly a weird, awkward thing to say, but people seem to accept it. Well, I remember when I was getting my master's degree in spiritual psychology, then at the first weekend, they said, we don't hug anyone. Don't take it personally. It's just an energy thing. And right. I remember thinking, yeah. oh, that's weird. But now I get it. Now I really get it. Because even when I teach my own events, I want to hug everybody. But when I do, I feel like I've been hit by a truck the next day. Yeah, you have to, you know, just make, you know, judge assessments, you know, about who you're dealing with. Some people you want to do it with, some people you don't. But if you want to make a general policy, like in a workshop, you know, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's the way you say it. You know, if you don't think it's weird and strange and feel like you have to defend it, you know, that's good. You know, you yeah. want to just short and sweet and out of there. And if people go, what? You know, you go, no, this is how I feel. Please, you know, it's so great for you to respect it. And that's how you set a boundary, but you have to practice. And with my patients, I often have them practice with me. So I'll be the energy vampire. I'll be the, the chronic talker or the criticizer, whoever pushes their buttons. And they practice setting a boundary with me, which is often really hard because I'm, a, you know, they know it's me, but I can, you know, be a a good energy vampire too in this you know little psychodrama and so I I help them you know just open their mouth you know and practice with me so sometimes it's good to practice with your clients or your friends you know before you go out in the world and always if you set a boundary as an empath you want to start with the easy people first you don't want to go right to your mother right 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 right. I love but they yeah, do, they, they want to go, I, I swear, they always want to go right to their mothers. And that's, 
wrong. You, you, you won't get a success experience there if you're just beginning to use your setting the boundary muscles. You have to start with the easier people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not be okay and be okay with them being upset by it or them not understanding it and not giving you weird looks. You have to be immune to weird looks. (laughs) That's very, very, very true. Another thing you talk about in your book is asking for time and, and personal space. Can you talk about why that's so important for empaths? Oh, it's so key. It not only decreases stimulation, it allows your creative juices to flow. Because when I'm alone, I have ideas come to me. As a creative person, it's very important for me to have my alone time. As even if I'm with the nicest people, my energy is still directed outward if I don't have my alone time. So when I'm alone, all kinds of things happen in my mind and my being that don't happen when I'm with other people. It's just how I've been trained. I was an only child. You know, I had a lot of alone time. I was used to it. I have a lot of creative process that happens in my alone time. A lot of processing of relationships happens in my alone time. I just need it to survive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I don't have it and I'm just outwardly focused, no matter how wonderful the activity, it's not balanced for my empath self. Yes. And can't we as empaths, if we're not asking for that time, especially in intimate relationships, end up sabotaging the relationship because we just don't know what to do. We feel smothered. Absolutely. And there's a chapter in the Empath Survival Guide on Empaths in Love. And I think for me, you know, that's why so many of my relationships never got past the two-year mark, you know, or I always had long-distance relationships because I was reluctant to assert my needs because I didn't want to lose the person. And so now I've been in a relationship for about seven years, and it's been about me expressing my needs and talking to him about them and how to meet them. And, you know, of course, like his needs too, but, you know, to be able to, to speak up. And I need alone time. If I don't, I'll go on sensory overload and say things I regret and say things I don't mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if I, I feel crowded, if I feel suffocated, and it could be he's doing nothing other than being in my presence, you know, because I don't, I need to not be with a human for a while. Right, right. What's the difference, Dr. Orloff, between an empath and an introvert? Well, empaths can be introverts or extroverts. And I happen to be an introverted empath, if you haven't figured that out. Yeah, me as well. <laughs> but sometimes they're extroverted empaths who like going out and socializing in groups more. They like, they get, you know, a lot of energy from being with groups, and but they still need to decompress afterwards. But they tend to like small talk more. I don't like small talk. I feel like it's draining me because I'm forcing it. But they like it. You know, they love to go out and just jibber jabber and talk and connect and, you know, wonderful. But you just have to know whether you're an introverted empath or an extroverted empath, but both need to decompress, have the alone time that we've been talking about, you know, to let the nonverbal or the invisible or the spiritual work its way through your being. And you can do that with people, but it's different. You know, you need, my experience of empaths and myself is that we need actually be away from other people and be either in meditation or in nature or doing something that's solitary in order to regroup. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I personally also have needed a lot of energetic healing, uh, whether it be Reiki or light work, or I've needed to have those resources in my life, especially working with people to help me clear energy and refill. And that's even worked better than a lot of talk therapy type situations, doing the energetic work to help that's me clear. That's a good point. I do that too. I have a, a you know wonderful acupuncturist. I have an osteopath. It's that's oh. I love osteopaths. <laughs> no, they use their hands and they can tune into the fluids of the body that empaths can be so sensitive to. Yeah. So yes, finding the right healthcare support is really important for me. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, it's a non-negotiable. So empaths out there listening have that as part of your non-negotiable investments because we're, you know, those of us with more delicate systems we're living in a world of overstimulation. So just like if you were, you know, it's it's flu season and you up your vitamin C and zinc, when we're an empath, we have to up those spiritual care practices to really help us um, thrive because there, there are many, so many gifts as an empath, which I'm going to circle back to. But one thing I wanted to definitely ask you about, and when I read about this in your book, I was like, ah, oh, I, I knew there was a thing with this. So in working with people and coaching people for so long, I have seen how often empaths end up with either narcissists or people with narcissistic tendencies? Why is this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's another empath toolkit is learning how to work with narcissistic people because there's often an attraction between empaths and narcissists, which I go into in detail in the empath survival guide because it's just a common theme. Empaths are givers and helpers and see the best in people and narcissists you know, often love empaths because it supports their, you know, their um, desire for self-attention and they're self-obsessed and they often, um, everything revolves around them and the empaths will help support the narcissist. So there's a toxic connection and, and the narcissists are, are so deceptive, you know, in terms of the empath because they seem so good in the beginning. You know, they can seem so funny and smart and charming and wonderful, and they seem to uh, care about your needs, but they really don't, not if they're full-blown narcissists. And I always suggest to my empath patients and workshop participants to create a small conflict in the beginning of a relationship if you suspect somebody's a narcissist, because narcissists don't like that. If you don't do things their way, they're going to become cold, withholding, punishing, you know, pretty Mm. quick they're going to start gaslighting you and make you think your reality is crazy and you're not perceiving correctly. You know, all the lists that everybody, thank God, knows about or so many more people know about these days. And I go through the the lists of, you know, what to look for in a narcissist. And if you happen to have had a narcissistic parent, you may be prone to having a narcissistic partner or being attracted to narcissistic people because you're trying to you know, heal that initial wound with your parents. And I just want to say the short answer is that never works to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I understand the impulse, but it, it never works. What you have to do is to heal the wounds of the narcissistic parenting. So then you can see what blocks you from finding a narcissistic, non-narcissistic partner. So it's a beautiful healing process like many others, but it, it just you know, take some doing and, you know, it's just part of the empath path. If, if that's, you know, your tendency, Mm -hmm, it's it's mm -hmm. just, you know, everybody, I hope you look at all these healing challenges, you know, just beautiful things to help our souls grow 
so we can be empowered as empaths, you know, not to look at it as a drag, you know, why did this happen to me? But, you know, try and look at it as, as a, you know, a learning experience. You know, you might not have chosen it. I mean, maybe in an unconscious way you did, but who would want to, you know, be stuck with a narcissist for 20 years? Yeah, you know, it's horrible because they can't love you and they have empathy deficient disorder, so they can't really empathize with you. You know, it's an empath, you need love and you deserve love. So you want to get it from the right sources. So this is a very important topic for many empaths to deal with. Yeah, because I I know as an empath, one of our tendencies is our heart is so big and we're full of so much love and compassion and we see the potential, we see the soul in someone, we see their heart, even if they can't see it. And it's like, my love will save you. My love will, will bring you out of this. And we just have to know that that that's not our role here. And if someone is especially has a personality disorder or is narcissistic or isn't willing to give us the space that we need, that we have to give up trying to change them and, and choose ourselves, love ourselves enough to, to get out of those kind of relationships. Absolutely. And there's a selection in thriving as an empath on marrying yourself. And I think that's so important that you have that inner marriage with you and yourself and that you vow and commit to loving and and caring for yourself throughout this period on earth, you know, so that you do that in, in your relationships and you do that in your life as an empath. I vow to take care of my empathic needs. I vow not to, you know, give them away. I vow to, you know, love myself throughout this lifetime. It's, it's all borrowed, you know, everything mm. here we have on earth, except for the love we create. That's what we can take with mm. us. But everything else will go. Our bodies, our friends, our, everything will go. Mm. But our development here, you know, in terms of the empathic heart that you mentioned, that big loving heart, you want to learn how to develop it and not give it away and waste it and mm. have people demolish it. That's part of the lesson of being an empath. Mm. Mm, and yeah, so many lessons. Are we born empaths? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we're born empaths or is it something that develops? Um, it just depends on the empath. Sometimes people are born empaths. They, they're little infants come into the world and you see how open they are. And, and they're just empaths from the beginning and others, you know, develop it. You know, sometimes trauma is associated with it. Yeah. Being raised by narcissistic, alcoholic, neglectful parents, you know, can leave the empathic child desolate and um, not with the needs not being met. And so they get amplified um, and their sensitivities are so painful because they're not getting the nurturing they deserve from being held in parents' arms and saying it's going to be okay. You know, so that's why self-soothing techniques, I talk about it so much as adults to learn self-soothing techniques as empaths, putting your hand on your heart, mm-hmm. your positive affirmations, gratefulness, being in nature, being with positive people. All these things are self-soothing in case you didn't have that. You see, so sometimes it can be nature, sometimes it can be nurture. Why we're empaths, and I think sometimes it's genetic, where it was passed down on my maternal side of my family, mm-hmm. you know, amongst the women. And I'm not, you know, there are many empathic men, and empath group, the empath group on Facebook is called Dr. Orlov's Empath Support Community. There's lots of men, they don't comment much, but there are lots of them. <laughs> 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 That's so funny. We have lots of men that listen to the show, but they rarely call in. So <laughs> men are the observers. I know. And oftentimes some of the women will say, where are all the men? And then they, they come up in the group and they say, well, 
you know, we're not that comfortable with expressing our feelings. We've been put down, we've been bullied, but we listen and we're getting a lot out of everything people are sharing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want to encourage the sensitive men to come out too. We need you desperately. Yeah. You know, we love you. You're incredible, you know, to be, you know, strong and powerful and empathic to be able to hold both qualities is the new paradigm of of men so i encourage empathy in men you know all of you if there are any of you listening or the husbands or the spouses of those listening give them positive reinforcement for this beautiful trait Mm. we need men who are like we need leaders who are empathic and and both empathic and strong not not overly feminized that's what they're always afraid of right Right. You know, not that, but you know, to be to hold the masculine and also hold the yep. vulnerable and sensitive. I'm very lucky to be married to one of those. And Aww. it took, yeah, it, yeah. but it, it was when you said that time alone to self-soothe. I got, I got divorced in my early thirties and it was nearly a decade before I met my husband. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, I, that was spirit going, Christine, you got to learn how to be in relationship with you <laughs> before you let anybody else in. And that was, That's that was true. very valuable. So many more questions for you. I'm trying to narrow it down to the ones that I really want to ask. Parenting an empathic child. So for people listening who may be an empath themselves or notice that their child has empathic, sensitive qualities, can you give some tips and tools for parenting an empathic child? Yes, there's a whole um, chapter in the Empath Survival Guide for Parents. And if you're an empathic parent, that's one thing. And if you're parenting a precious empathic child and I feel so strongly about nurturing children who are empaths because as a child like many of us I was not nurtured as an empath I was told you know you're overly sensitive you need to get a thicker skin why don't you change you know that that kind of thing and I had very loving parents so they just didn't get it you know and you know god bless them and it was a long time ago and hopefully things are changing. But a lot of empath children are shamed for their abilities. So you want to identify if you have a, a highly sensitive or empath empath child. You want to see what their unique needs are. You know, you don't want to overschedule them with too many play dates. That will put them on sensory overload. You want to give them alone time so they can be with their imaginary friends or write or journal or muse, you know, and just be creative on their own. You want to decrease their stimulation level so they don't get excessively stimulated. You know, if you have people over at your house and they want to stay on the stairways and observe rather than interacting, you know, usually let them do that because they find their own way. You know, they're vibing. They sense energy. You want to help them listen to their night dreams and find out what they are and listen to their intuition. You want to help them decrease stimulation in in school by putting a shield around them if they're picking things up from other schoolmates or teachers. So there's a whole checklist of things to be aware of in the book. If you have these precious beings, you want these precious beings to grow up proud of their abilities and to learn how to ground themselves so they're not overwhelmed all the time. And Mm. you could start, if you're a parent and you're aware of this, oh boy, you're way ahead of everybody else, you know, to help those beings, those precious beings as they grow up. Mm. 
And final question before we get into sharing the events you have coming up and where people can connect with you. And you've touched on this, but I would just love to end with really highlighting this because we've talked a lot about how we need to take care of our sensitivities and boundaries and all of that. But I'd like to end on what are the tremendous gifts of empaths? What can we really step into? I believe, and how we hear. Yeah, I believe that their compassion and empathy will save the world. Mm, I, I agree. believe that this is the secret to understanding other human beings of our own family. You know, we're all part of one family and not seeing us versus them. You know, empaths can feel the continuity between us and all peoples of the earth and, and of the earth too. And so, you know, the empathy you have is to me the most precious trait that you have, the empathy and love inside. Mm. To develop that and don't betray that, you know, really know what is important in life. You know, I know there are all kinds of concerns, work, relationships, you know, everything that everybody struggles with, but most importantly, it's the love in your heart and the compassion and empathy that you have for yourself and for others. So you can see with a capital S, you know, so that you're not just stuck in your head, like all these disembodied heads all around them, you know, in the world who only see things through their mind. You don't want to do that. You want to balance mind, body, soul, and heart. So that's the message. Yeah, I love that. And I feel as an empath also, often a bridge between the spiritual unseen world and and the physical world and helping other people feel that spiritual energy as well. Yes. Beautiful. Dr. Orloff, will you please, I know you have an event coming up in April and you have toolkits. Please tell where people can find out about all of those things. Yes, you could um, go to my website, which is drjudithorloff.com. And I'm having an empath support retreat 2020, April 25th and 26th in Los Angeles for empaths to come and you know have a day of retreat, two days of retreat and self-care and connecting with each other and being in nature. So that's on my website, uh, April 25th, 26th. There's also a online video course that you could download at your convenience where I'm teaching via video lessons different aspects of being an empath, um, empaths in work, empaths in love, empaths in health, empaths in parenting, empaths in intuition. So you can go through the course at your convenience and download it, which, you know, it's really helpful. And then I'm also giving a course for healthcare practitioners and those interested in healing who are empaths, March 13th through 15th at Multiversity Retreat Center in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. So to help healthcare practitioners treat their empathic patients and help themselves while they're mm-hmm. <laughs> giving to others. All that is on drjudithorloff.com mm-hmm. as well as Thriving as an Empath and the Empath Survival Guide. We're going to put all of that in the show notes so people can check all of that out. I'm going to try to make it to the Los Angeles event because it just sounds incredible. So thank you for continuing to do these events. Thank you for writing a book and having a passion and putting so much material out there on something that I think so many people are dealing with and often struggle with because it's not something that's really talked about. You know, in school, we don't really learn. All right, how do you deal with being an empath? And I just... I just thank you for, I think you're helping a lot of people feel less alone, less isolated, less crazy. Because I think a lot of times empaths, we can feel like we're going crazy because we're feeling so much and we need to learn that it's not all ours that we're feeling. 
And so just thank you for being a soothing voice to all of us who really need that. Oh, you're very welcome.